And that has always been our issue with pre-order in the past is people don't want to wait. I mean, we're used to Amazon, right? Right. Like you order something, it's, it could be at your door that same day. And uh, I think they, what do they call that? The McDonaldization of society, just this fast food mentality of like, I, I need it and I want it right now. But I think that, you know, as the, the slow fashion and the slow living movement is becoming more and more popular, people are just becoming more comfortable with waiting, which is so great on so many levels. Yeah. I mean, we need to slow down. We're going at an insanely fast pace and it's not good. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, business leader, community activist, author, speaker, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you, the listener, that no matter where you are, no matter what you do, you can make an impact. My guest this week is my dear friend, Bethany Tran. She is the founder and CEO behind The Root Collective. She calls herself an accidental preneur who believes passionately in the power of business and consumers to change the world we live in and to make it a better place. The Root Collective is arguably my favorite, favorite, favorite shoe company of all time. And Bethany has been a dear friend and she was on the show all the way back at episode three. So she's one of the original, original guests. And I am just so grateful that she was able to join us again and to give us some updates on where things have been for her in the last six years. And they've made some, the Root Collective has made some pretty big uh, changes in the last year or so, changing their business model. And I am just so, so excited to have her on the show and you are just going to love her. She's such a delight and uh, you're going to love this conversation. But before I get to my conversation with Bethany, I want to thank our partner of the show and that is Mama Suds. Now, If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know that I love Mama Suds. I have had the head mama, Michelle Smith, on the show back uh, a couple of years ago, and we have personally used their products in our home for years. I mean, they have clean, non-toxic, safe products for your bathroom, your kitchen, your laundry. And here's what is great about them is not only do they smell great, are they non-toxic, do they use clean, safe ingredients, but they actually work, actually work. I love their shower steamers, their hand soap, their natural all-purpose cleaner concentrate, their body wash, toilet bombs, the Castile soap, you name it, we've used it and we love it. And again, it actually works. So many times I feel like there are companies that have clean ingredients and then they don't actually do what they're supposed to, but no, not mama said. So I want you to try them out. Go to mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY and that will get you 15% off your order. That is mamasuds.com. Use the coupon code MOLLY and that will give you 15% off your order. Now onto my conversation with my friend, Bethany Tran. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a very special day because I have um, a longtime friend, a dear, dear friend, and one of the... OG guests of the podcast, my dear friend, Bethany Tran is here with me today. Hi, friend. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, So for the listeners, this episode is 319 that you are currently listening to. My friend Bethany was guest number three. She was episode yep. three back in September of 2016. 
That's crazy. Yeah, which is over six years ago now at this point. And um, you were one of the first people when I was dreaming up this podcast. And uh, my husband was like, all right, you have to make a list of 10 people that you're going to reach out to and ask them to be on the podcast. And I was like, well, Bethany's number one, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) So you were the first person I asked and you said yes uh, to my crazy idea. And um, so thanks for being there then. And thanks for being here now. And I'm so excited um, for uh, you to kind of just give us an update. And there's so many new things that I really want to talk with you about and why, obviously, I wanted to have you back on. But also, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I almost forgot this, uh, is you are now unofficially slash officially inducted into the Two Timers Club on this show, which is a very, it's a very exclusive club. Uh, I've discussed with previous two timer guests, um, maybe getting velvet jackets. Like, shit. Oh my gosh. Can they be purple? Yeah. Yes. Obviously. (laughs) Uh, a la like the SNL five timers club. Like when somebody hosts five times, they get inducted and they get like a velvet jacket. I'm thinking that people who come on two times should get a velvet jacket, but until I get velvet jackets made for now, it's just a bragging rights thing. So (laughs) I'll take it while I wait. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, so I I just I would have been so embarrassed had I not uh addressed that that you are now part of the exclusive two timers <laughs> club. Um, I mean you've and you're in great company. I mean, Sharon Hottie Miller, Daniel Grothy, Mary Morantz, and Liz Bohannon are are a part of the two timers club. So yeah. it's a great group. It really is. <laughs> Okay, so Bethany, uh, as all of my two timers do this, um, it is give us the Bethany 201 instead of the 101, which you gave us the first time. So give us the Bethany 201. What has been going on in your life? Uh, Just a few things since the summer of 2016. My gosh, 2016. We were the Root Collective, which is um, my business. We were I don't think we weren't even three years old at that point. And we're coming up on year nine now. So it's been, uh, you know, there's been a few things. There was uh, running a, a retail business with a product that people need to wear to leave the house during a pandemic. Um, that was super fun. <laughs> Became a mom during that time. Yes, little Crosby. Um, oh, he's the best. Crosby, cutest little peanut. Yeah, we have been, we've been oscillating between like survival mode and like killing it sometimes in like the same week. Yeah. Often the same day. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> business in, in 2022. Yeah. <laughs> <At this point. laughs> um, well, okay, so for people who may not have listened to that first conversation with you and maybe are brand new to the Root Collective, give us an update or just kind of a, a 36,000 foot view on what you do. And uh, and also, I really want to get into the the change in the business model, which is one of the things I wanted to talk with you about. But um, obviously, uh, if if anybody knows me in real life or follows me on the the Instagrams, uh, you know that the Rue Collective is essentially, other than farm boots, about the only footwear that I wear. So yeah, it's <laughs> it's a it's a problem, and by a problem, I mean it is great. Um, so and funny enough, uh, just at church yesterday, because um, I've also gotten all of my friends addicted to the Rue Collective, which means that me and my sure friends have. almost have all of the same pairs of shoes. And um, my my best friend, Megan, and I often dress alike and it's not planned. Like we don't, <laughs> but it is a regular occurrence where we will show up wearing, if not the exact same thing, like pr- 
pretty close to the same thing. And yesterday we both walked into church in dark wash jeans cuffed at the bottom with uh, our gray Espe boots. And then we both had like long drapey cardigans on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was like almost. And the funny thing, we also have very similar colored hair. And um, this, there have been multiple times where my husband has been like, I almost slapped Megan on the butt because I thought it was you. <laughs> I'm like, please don't. Please don't slap my friend on the butt. Thank you very much. Um, anyway. I feel, like she, wait, I feel like she would be okay with that. She though. probably like, she would, would turn around yeah, and be, be like, like it's John. <laughs> Oh, anyway, but yeah, so it's um, it's just an amazing footwear company. But yeah, so for people who are not familiar, tell us what makes the Rue Collective different. Yeah, so uh, we work with small batch makers in Guatemala. Um, we really started out of the, I don't know if realization is the correct word, but I had spent a lot of time um, in a slum community in Guatemala and just, I guess, realized that like, hey, every parent deserves the right and the dignity to be able to take care of their kids like with a job. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so having spent time in Guatemala, which was really my first introduction to a, uh, a developing country, um, and just realizing the, how under underemployment, not even unemployment, because a lot of people, most people have a job. It's just, they're not making enough money to, you know, like pay the bills and put food on the table. Right. So having access to a well-paying job was, um, it's kind of an important thing. Yeah. Um, and so I had spent time going to Guatemala for, I think it was like three years, um, before I finally got the guts up to actually like do something about it and, um, had gotten connected with a shoemaker. Um, I have no, no background in shoes besides wearing them, had no background in product development or anything like that. Honestly, like I was a marketing person. That was what I did, but, um, I was in like B2B services, like, which is a totally different beast Mm -hmm. than doing like, you know, B2C e-commerce, um, very, very different. But as any good entrepreneur, I didn't let my ignorance, um, stop me from doing something really stupid, like starting a business. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, (laughs) So yeah, we launched in 2013. Um, and at the time we were doing a whole bunch of stuff. We were doing, um, bags and jewelry and scarves and shoes. We only had, I think like four, maybe five pairs of shoes to start and everything else was like a bajillion other things. And, um, one of the best pieces of business advice I ever got was, um, you have to pick one thing. And at the time I'm like, no, you don't. to pick one thing. It's fine. Let's do everything. Um, until I realized that like the reason people say that is you can't do everything and do it well. Yeah. And my husband picks on me because like my favorite saying has become niche is rich and broad is broke, which is also really good business advice is just niching yourself down into something. So over the course of the first, I think year and a half to two years that we were in business, we ended up niching down into shoes, um, not on purpose. It was just the thing that was working probably because really almost nobody else was doing that at the time in the fair trade world. Yeah. Um, everybody was doing jewelry. Everybody was doing bags, you know, scarves were easy to find all the other things that we were doing were, you know, pretty, pretty easy to find with other people who were doing it very well. Yeah. So, uh, we ended up niching down, um, and, uh, have become known for 
doing pretty cute shoes. Um, again, all handmade in Guatemala. And like I said, we're coming up on year nine. Yeah. In, uh, a month, which is crazy. Yeah. Still here. Well, I mean, I remember, I mean, I was first introduced to you, I mean, within the first year after you launched, I mean, I have, I still have my original pair of blue Gabby flats with the like plastic, um, soles. I had one of the original, like, uh, the, the woven zipper clutches, like zipper pouches. So, I mean, I remember like those early days and, um, and then I remember, uh, I was, a uh, a, a model for one of your early shoots, yep. uh, with uh-huh. Taylor, uh, and Emily. And it was just, oh my goodness, it was so much fun. And that was, you know, some of my earliest, you know, introduction to you. And then you and I very quickly became friends. And so it's been an honor and a, and a, just a joy to watch you grow and your business grow and and evolve and change. And like, if the root collective of today saw the root collective of, you know, 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. I almost think that you wouldn't recognize the two. No. And, um, and I just, but I think that that, that speaks so much to a testament of your leadership, but also your grit and your ability to, you know, the, the word of the last few years has been pivot and, (laughs) Um, which I just think we, we all need the Ross Geller shirt, like, oh, yeah. and, um, it's to grow and to evolve and to know when to leave something and know when to stop something. And I know that there have been tears shed and, uh, hard decisions made, um, over the years. And that, you know, comes with a lot of challenges. And, um, so it's, but like I said, it's just, that's my encouragement to you is that you've, um, the way that you've done it has been with such grace, even though I know as your friend that there have been times where it has not felt that way. Thanks, friend. <laughs> um, you're welcome. Um, so, but one of the things that I really wanted to address kind of here at the beginning is how the pandemic affected your business and how you guys made a pretty big move in the last, I guess, the last year, really. Um, and essentially completely changed your business model. Um, yeah. I mean, cause I mean, there was definitely a time you, uh, wholesaled, you know, to retailers and then you were doing, you know, you know, e-commerce and pop-ups and markets and all kinds of things. And then the pandemic hits. Yeah. Yeah. What's funny was, uh, 2020 was actually supposed to be our year that we were really focusing on pop-ups and the first pop-up that we had that year was right when everything shut down. Yep. Like it was like a few days before everything shut down. So I'm sitting at this little boutique out in Morrisville, North Carolina, and one person came in. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. <laughs> yep. Because no one was leaving the house. It was like being out in a ghost town. I don't think I'll ever forget that. It was really weird. So yeah, 2020 was um well, really, really life since, since the pandemic hit has been really interesting from a business perspective. Um, you know, like I said earlier, we have a we shoes, which you, you leave the house, like you're normally not wearing shoes around inside the house. So we, uh, we made it through a pandemic with a product that requires people to leave the house, um, and yeah. survived, which is yeah. kind of amazing. But the last year, one of the killers with being in retail is uh, holding inventory. Um, you, you normally have a lot, a lot of your capital is sitting on a shelf. And your goal with 
being in retail is basically essentially what they call like is a zero inventory, which is essentially something comes in, hits the shelf and then leaves immediately. Um, this is very, very, very difficult for this to happen. Um, it basically doesn't happen. Um, the other thing is consumers are really confusing. And there have been times where like, we will would launch a product and we're like, this is going to be killer. Like we're going to sell out in five minutes and then it doesn't. Or other times where we're like, we're really not really super sure about this product. We're going to try it out. We're not holding our breath. And then it flies off the shelf. So it can be just really difficult to to know how much to stock so that product isn't just sitting on the shelves, um, not knowing exactly what's going to work. And so the joke has been since I started this every summer, we're going out of business every single summer we're going out of business because it's the slowest time in retail. Your reserves are dwindling. You're trying to pump up for fall, which is always the busiest time. So you're coming out of your worst time, going into your busiest time. You have no money in the bank. You're trying to like, you know, build up inventory going into your busy season. And every summer we were, we were going out of business and every year be like, this is, this is the year, this is the year we're going out of business. And 2020 was really hard. And that summer, my husband basically said, let's get through the end of the year. Then we need to have a a come to Jesus talk about whether or not this is worth it to continue. Yeah. Um, Because it was just putting such a financial strain on our family. I have made very intentional decisions to not take on any kind of investment for very specific reasons. So we have been self-funded from the beginning. And when you're doing that, you have to be very careful about the decisions that you're making. Yeah. Um, we don't have millions of dollars just, you know, at our disposal to use. So um, that summer, summer of 2020, um, I had been talking to a friend of mine uh, who actually works for a major footwear company. And she was telling me about this other brand. Um, I bring up that she works for a major footwear company just because she's in the industry. She's extremely smart. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I see this other brand over here and they're doing like these really limited releases. And she's like, it might just be something to think about with the root collective and see. And they were doing, um, cause now, now things are called drops when you do it, like something quick, something fast. It is not a release. It's not a launch it is now a drop. So they were doing drops of, um, I think it was, th- they'd open it up for 36 hours. And after that, if you don't get in, you got to wait until it comes back. And I was like, dang, that feels super risky. Like that feels really, really, really risky. But we were going out of business (laughs) yeah. again. And I was like, and we were having, we were also having supply chain issues with like getting things to us. And I was like, we can't wait on these products. Like if we wait until we actually get it here, it's going to be November right before Thanksgiving. And you can't launch stuff around that time, at least not successfully. So I was like, okay, we're going to try it. So we did two drops back to back. It was actually ended up being a week apart of our Jesse sneaker and our faith flat and um, 36 hours. We're going to bring it back. We just don't know exactly when. So you've got 36 hours. And if you want this shoe, you got to, you got to snag it now. And my jaw was on the ground with how well it did. I mean, we, the, my whole team, we were just like, what is happening right now? Like, I don't even understand. Yeah. Um, it just went really, really well. And we're like, well, there might be something to this. Like we've tried pre-orders in the past um, with just leaving things open in perpetuity, you know, and, you know, not, it never really went super well. So I was like, you know what, Um, 2021, 
Now, was that 20? Now I need to see. Mm-mm. I think no. that happened in 2021. That yeah. was last year or in 2022. Right? I know. I know. Because I think year? it was January of this year that you went. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was 2021. Sorry. Um, I literally have no idea. Like what day is it? No. Yeah. Same. It's fine. The problem. Yeah. Another problem with working in retail is we're always working ahead. Yeah. No six to 12 months. So then I'm getting really confused as to what year we're in. Um, so I'm sorry, this was all 2021. So, um, in January I was like, okay, well, we're going to try this. We're going to launch everything on limited pre-order, just see how it goes. Um, and this allowed us to do a few things. Um, one was to be able to give people more options because before it's like, okay, we launch a new shoe. We can launch it in a few colors because we can't take the risk of, you know, launching it in six, seven different colors, not knowing what's going to go well. We don't have the capital to do that. So it allowed us to be able to be like, okay, well, we can offer this in six, seven different colors because um, it's taking the risk off of having to stock all that inventory. And it ended up going really, really well. Uh, So Q1 was by far the best quarter we've ever had in the business. Um, You know, and then then some things ended up happening this year. Like, I don't know if y'all know, we're kind of in a recession right now. Yeah. Or like, it, it's like I said, business, business in this day and age, it's like we went from, you know, a couple of years of pandemic to now recession and, um, you know, we're still having a fantastic year. So we've really shifted a lot of what we're doing over to a pre-order model. Whenever we launch something new, we're launching it very limited and we're still keeping in stock items. And, you know, the primary reason why we're doing that is for new customers, because new customers are going to want to be able to buy something and have it at their door within a few days. Our existing customer base is really good at, you know, understanding why we're doing it. And, um, you know, one of the biggest reasons, honestly, aside from trying to not go out of business, is um, overproduction in yeah. the fashion industry is one of the biggest issues. Um, there are, I mean, tons and tons, literal, actual tons um, of clothing that go unsold every year um, in the billions, I want to say. And um, it's an extremely unsustainable way to do business because, you know, not only from a capital perspective, but where does that stuff go? Right. You know, all the stuff that has been overproduced, a lot of times it's ending up in a landfill and it is completely unsustainable. So really we want to sit here and make only what we need. And that model allows us to do that. So it's really, it's giving us more business flexibility. It's helping us stay in business. It's allowing us to be more sustainable. And um, our customers are really behind it. And I think the thing that's been really interesting too, in the last couple of years is a lot more companies are switching to more of a pre-order model, which means consumers are becoming more comfortable with having to wait. And that has always been our issue with pre-order in the past is people don't want to wait. I mean, we're used to Amazon, right? Right. Like you order something, it's, it could be at your door that same day. And uh, I think like, what do they call that? The McDonaldization of society, just this fast food mentality of like, I I need it and I want it right now. But I think that, you know, as the, the slow fashion and the slow living movement is becoming more and more popular, people are just becoming more comfortable with waiting, which is so great on so many levels. I mean, we need to slow down. We're going at an insanely fast pace and it's not good for anyone. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads me to another question that I wanted to just sort of general, like generally speaking, 
from when you were on the show in September of 2016, which, you know, we probably would have done the interview in like August of 2016 um, to now is there have been so many changes in the fashion industry in general, the ethical fashion world, the fair trade world. I mean, it just looks so different. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, you know, I know from more of a consumer slash, uh, I don't even know how I would describe myself because I don't own an ethical fashion business, but I interview and talk to a lot of people who are in that realm. You know, I've seen the changes as a consumer and as an advocate, I guess maybe is the way I would describe it. Um, I mean, I think about, you know, I launched like my ethical uh, brand directory on my website. I launched in the fall of 2015 with 35 businesses. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as of last count, I think there's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 450 to 500 on there now. Um, And that's in, you know, seven years, um, which I'm sure that there are more um, than that. I just those are the ones that I know about. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that in general is there's a a much larger movement towards, you know, I really don't love this term, but the the conscious consumerism, um, I don't really know a better way to describe it, even though it's just sounds pretentious. Um, Maybe that's why I don't like it. I need something. I need a more chill term. Okay. I don't have one. I don't have an answer. And, uh, but you know what I mean? And so there's definitely more of that movement there. Um, but I'm, I'm curious from a brand owner perspective, and I think you address some of the things, but what are some of the biggest like overall themes and, and in talking with other brand owners, other people in the industry, what have been some of the biggest changes you have seen in, you know, six, seven years? It's consumer demand. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, well, number one, women, women are the most powerful people in the world by far because women control 85% of household budgets. Women are spending 85% of the money in America. I mean, we're, we're spending the GDP of other countries, like just in, you know, the stuff that we're buying on a daily basis. And I think that just consumers in general are becoming a lot more aware. I mean, we have more information at our fingertips now than we have ever had. And I think that we're just really starting to understand and realize that like, Hey, not everything is what it seems in manufacturing. And, you know, the, the Rana Plaza collapse in when was that? 2011, 2013, 2013. Um, I think that was eye opening. Not that that doesn't still happen because Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it does. Um, but unfortunately I think it takes really horrible things sometimes for us to all of a sudden wake up and start paying attention. I mean, in, in the U S it was the, the sh- triangle shirtwaist factory. Oh, is that the one in California? Oh, uh, California, California, New York. Yeah. Um, yes. I know what you're talking like about. The early 1900s where there was a, a factory fire, I want to say. Um, and I don't remember how many, you know, hundreds of women died. And that was what it took for things to start changing in the U S with, yeah. Um, you know, labor laws and safety laws. So unfortunately, I think it it does typically take, you know, some kind of a tragedy for all of a sudden people to start being like, well, crap. Yeah. 
like something's wrong here. Yeah. Um, so when that, that factory collapsed, which I'm sure, you know, your listeners have been with you for a while. They've yeah. probably heard about it a bajillion times, Yeah. but thousands of people died. And, um, I, you know, I think for, for consumers, it was kind of this wake up of like, wow, like the, these are the people who are making the stuff that I wear. And if I continue buying from those brands, I'm literally contributing to people dying so that I can have a cute shirt. Mm -hmm. So going back to specifically women and, you know, how we're spending our money, like your money makes such a difference and where you spend it is telling companies what's important to you. Right. So I think there's been this really big shift of, um, you know, consumers really wanting and demanding more ethical and sustainable options. And that's, that's come also as a kind of a, a two-edged sword too, because then you've got, you know, companies like H&M who yeah. they just got their wrists massively slapped recently because they're putting out yeah. their conscious collection, which was, you know, essentially a load of crap. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> which I was watching from the beginning and I'm like, I cannot believe people are not picking up on this, that this is not, this is not what it is. Like, it's right. not what they're saying it is. This is not ethical. It's not sustainable. It's none of those things. So you are, you are seeing some of that, uh, but you're seeing a lot more brands pop up that are like legitimately really trying to do things in a better way because they were also once consumers who, you know, are seeing that like, Hey, things need to be done better. Um, and because other consumers are really demanding a better way of doing business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think too, that there's, yeah, I say that all the time is that your money talks and um, and you see that business when businesses respond. And I mean, I love even, you know, companies like Target are starting yeah. to make massive changes. And, you know, and honestly, like their fair trade denim for women is fantastic. Um, and I actually just got they have fair trade denim for men now, too. And oh, really? Yes. And John needed some new jeans. And I was like, let's go to Target first. And he was like, really? Target? And I was like, hey, they got fair trade denim now. And it's great. Um, and honestly, my fair trade Target jeans are better than some of my like designer ones. So I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'm just saying I just am throwing that out there. Um, but yes, I mean, it, it's and, and that begins to set a standard is because then other yeah. companies are like, well, if Target is doing it, right, then I'm going to have to catch up. Yep. Um, and so I really, I, I really love that. Um, and, and I agree the, the consumer demand and, um, and I think the other shift that I have noticed as well is consumers understanding better why ethical or fair trade goods cost more. Mm -hmm. which um, there's still a long and big learning curve for that. Uh -huh. But I have seen improvements in that area. And um, there have been some companies that have come out and explained why things cost more. Um, Able was the first one that I think really kind of set a very unique standard in that they published exactly their wages <laughs> for people yeah. in their supply chains. And and uh, and I I thought that was really bold and brave and that there were people were in their feelings about it. There were some people that thought it was great, some people that really hated it. But I, I thought it was an interesting way to educate on why things are priced the way they are. Um, and you guys are starting to move a little bit in that direction. Um, so you guys published a graphic. Uh, I don't know if it's at, it was just in the Root Collective Facebook group or if it's been put elsewhere. 
It's on the website too. So if you're interested in seeing this, you can go to the rootcollective.com and see this. Um, But walk us through this and why you decided to do it. And and for those that haven't seen it, kind of break it down for us. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for years, years um, of publishing our pricing breakdown. I have always been very hesitant to do it for uh, a few reasons. First off is when you live in America or any country, mm-hmm. you put you put pricing in terms of what your economy is. Right. And so we've always been afraid to to publish things like that. Like here's how much we're actually paying to our artisans because we need people to understand what that local economy is there. Um, so that's always been a huge hesitation there is I was afraid of people coming and pushing back and being like, well, how can you be paying that much? And it's like, well, because this is Guatemala where the cost of living and you right. know everything is extremely different than if you're living here in California or New York or North Carolina, very wherever. Different. Very different. I don't care where you are. It's going to be very different. So we just published last week. I finally, I was like, you know, we just, we're going to do it because one of the things that is very difficult as a brand owner is when people sit there and complain about how expensive your product is. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially when you have very low markup. So this graphic, basically, it shows you exactly what all of our costs are. It shows you what our material costs are, what our labor costs are, what our shipping costs are, packaging, like all the things, the things that it does not include are our marketing cost, any of our overhead, um, our our staff wages. So um, we don't directly employ the artisans that we work with very much on purpose because we want to be able to uplift uh, local business owners who actually live in these communities and know their communities. So we don't directly employ, employ we partner as a very intentional and strategic way of doing business. Um, so it doesn't it doesn't include any of our other costs. This is literally how much does it cost to get the product from you know the various pieces into a finished product in our hands. We break it all down to you. And our average markup is between two and three times. So if something costs ten dollars, we're selling it for somewhere between 20 and 30. Uh, normal markup, we say on our graphic, normal markup is four to six times. And I actually think we're going to go back and fix that and say between four and 12, because that is actually more accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually know of other fair trade brands who are marking up 10 to 12 times over their cost, which is, I mean, good for them if that they're able to do that. Yeah. There's no way that we can do that because we would be completely priced out of the market. So we, we really wanted people to understand Understand the cost of making things ethically and also understand this is one of the big things. We are not in this to get rich. Right. We are not in this to get rich. Um, I don't think I will ever forget. We had somebody reach out to us once basically saying, I'm arguing with a friend of mine who's basically saying, essentially, you're stepping on the backs of the poor in order to make a lot of money. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, no. Like if I was out working a corporate job as the CEO of the company, I would be making two or three times as much as I'm making. Yeah. At at least. least. Yeah. So yeah, we really, we just, we want, we want people to understand the cost of doing things right. And the cost of doing things well, and we're not perfect by any stretch. Like we aren't, we know that, but we really felt like this was a step in, um, 
you know, just giving more business transparency, which is one of the biggest things that is missing in the business world. Yeah, no, that's so good. And just so valuable that, that because education goes a long way. And (laughs) without that, people are often going to have those conversations about, well, well, why is this so expensive? And, um, you know, one of the things that I try to educate people on too is when you're buying something that is handcrafted with high quality materials, like your cost per wear, your, the longevity of that is going to be so far beyond anything you ever buy you know, at a big box real ta- realtor, real, right. real retailer, retailer. Wow. <laughs> retailer. Uh, we're recording this on a Monday, y'all. <laughs> we are. And it is. Whew. English is a hard language. Um, but I mean, I think, for example, um, my Espe boots, which are now, let's see, when did you launch the Espe? Was that 2016? Probably. Yeah, I would say it was. So I got the very first pair of Espe boots. And I still own that pair. I wore them to church yesterday. So they are at least six years old. Um, They are by far my most worn pair of boots. In fact, let's just, you know what is a fun thing that I'm going to just do right now. So I have an app that I, uh, y'all don't judge me or make fun of me. Um, Actually, I don't care at all. Um, But I have an app called Cladwell. In fact, I've had the founder of Cladwell here on the show before and I can input everything in my closet and I can track like how much I have worn something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have used the app for years and years and years, but about, I think four and a half years ago, they changed to like where you could like track, it would save how much you've worn things. So I've been using the app for longer than this, but so for at least four and a half years. So I can see that I have worn these boots 227 times Wow! in four years, which I own them for longer than that. So it's going to be more than that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if the original pair of boots cost what 200 at the time, they were probably like 220 bucks or something like that. I mean, at this point, it's at least a dollar aware, if not, you know yeah. what I mean? If not yeah. less than that. Um, right. And, you know, a couple of years ago, the soles were worn out because I've worn them so much. Mm-hmm. I took them to a cobbler. Did you know the cobbler still exist? It's not just apple yeah. pie or peach, but there are shoe cobblers <laughs> who repair your shoes. And so yeah. they put a new sole on the bottom. They polished that leather right up and they looked brand stinking new. The yeah. other day I had realized, cause I, you know, it's been summertime on the farm. Like I haven't worn boots in a while, but the fall temperatures are here now. And so I hadn't worn my Espe boots since probably like last March. And, um, they were in our shoe bin in my garage and the shoe mm. bin in the garage gets dusty and dirty and nasty. And so I was like, oh crap. So I pull the boots out and they were dirty. Um, mm. just from sitting in the shoe bin for a few months. I dusted them off. I washed the soles. I got some leather conditioner out and like they looked brand new. And you cannot, the reality is, is it, that is much more difficult to have a pair of, you know, cute booties from even Target last that Mm -hmm. long. It just is very difficult. Cause also when you buy a pair of shoes that is well-made is handcrafted, you can take it to a cobbler to repair. Whereas like, you're Mm -hmm. not going to take a 
$20 pair of boots to a right. cobbler and pay $20 to get them repaired. Um, yeah. you're, you're not going to do that. Um, yeah. so it just, it, that education and, and showing people like why this is worth it is so important. Yeah. It's yeah. so important. Well, we are almost out of time. Um, and we've got to get to, to the get to know you round, ask some fun questions. Um, but before we do that, what is on the horizon for the Root Collective? And, and um, what are some of your dreams and visions uh, as you're going into the, the next year and we're, you know, getting close to 2023? Good Lord. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. Yeah, we still have, we still have some fun stuff coming out this fall yet. So um if you are not following us, you're probably going to want to do that. Yeah. It's been really fun in the last year to really start branching out into new styles that we've not really done either at all before or haven't done much, which is also really interesting because we're working in a country that doesn't have a ton of resources. So like with souls and stuff like that, we're literally figuring out how to make this stuff. And again, we're not, I'm not a shoemaker. Yeah. So like, to like partner with these people and be like, okay, how do we do this? Yeah. <laughs> Here's the end result of what we want to get to. How do we get there? So we want to continue really doing more of that. And, um, you know, being, so we're, we're e-commerce. Uh, we are starting now that the world is open back up again, we are starting to do th- more things like pop-ups, um, which has been, been fun to do, but we're really looking for like, what are some new and fun and different things that we can do to be innovative and, um, you know, to really build community. Cause that's, that's where our heart is. Like I say all the time, like we're a people company that happens to do shoes and, you know, that goes outside of our, our makers and into our, you know, our customers here who have, a lot of them have become family. Yeah. I mean, you and I never would have met had it yeah. not been for this business. Um, and I have, I would say a lot of my really close friends were customers first. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so really, for all you adults out there who are like, uh, how do I make friends in my thirties and forties? It is start a business and <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much to start a business. There's your answer. Start a business. <laughs> um, so we are, we're looking at, you know, new, how can we do things new? How can we do things differently? Like I said, we're getting into some new and different styles. And so that's really, that's where our sites are. Um, in 2023, um, you know, we're looking to be able to expand even more, um, you know, because again, like we want to provide jobs um, yeah. and the end of the business has to grow in order to do that. So, so yeah, that's really where, that's where our heart is. We're looking to do some more collaborations. We're going to start getting back into doing live sales, which we haven't done in years. So we've got a lot, we've got a lot a lot boiling right now. I'm so excited. I can't wait. All right, friend. Well, now is the portion of the show where we change gears just a little bit and get to know you. Question number one, what is something in the last year or this summer that has been really memorable or has made a lasting impact on you? I'm going to say, you know, we did, we did a, this is going to be funny. We did a pop-up with one of my best friends. Um, she owns a shop called New Creation up in Harrisonburg. Yeah, she's Virginia. been on the show before. Yeah, she is. She's one of my besties. Um, and I have a lot of anxiety with in-person events, which is funny. I'm like, nobody's going to show up. Um, they're going to ask me questions that I can't answer. And it was just such a fun night. And again, this was, so this was what, 
February, 2022, which yeah, two years after COVID hit, but like still people weren't really going out and doing stuff much. And like people were pouring in that whole night. That's and so awesome. I think it was just such a reminder that like, you know, people just still really need and want community in this digital age where we're behind a screen, we're connecting, you know, with people through social media, but people really want and crave that in-person connection. Um, and it was really just, it was such a fun night and it was so fun seeing people come out and support a local business, um, and also come out and support us. Um, I was able to be there in person and it was just, it was such a fun night. I love that. That's a great answer. That is a great answer. Okay. Question number two is of all of your pet peeves, which one is the strangest? I have a lot of pet peeves. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. I really hate when people misuse phrases like I could care less. (laughs) Okay. Why don't you like, please, I go ahead and care. Like the phrases I couldn't care less. Oh yeah. Not I could care. Like if you're going to use a phrase like that, like you have to get it correct because otherwise (laughs) you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. What was your favorite TV show to watch growing up? Oh gosh, growing up. So I grew up with no cable. And when I say no cable, I'm talking, we had like bunny ears in the attic. We had an antenna. We literally had, we had nothing. And I'm pretty sure, well at home. Okay. I'm going to give you a two-part answer because that was at home. My grandparents had cable at home. We'd watch little, little house on the prairie. Love it. Love it. Who, who didn't watch little house on the prairie growing up in the eighties and nineties, um, at my grandparents' house. I'm going to say it was DuckTales. DuckTales. My kids love DuckTales. Yeah. Good. Good answer. I didn't know it was was still around. It is. Good answer. All right. Last question is, uh, Bethany, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? To me, it means leaving the world better than I found it. I love it. You're just amazing. I just, you're such a gift to me and to so many others. And I'm so thankful for you. And thank you for being here and for sharing your wisdom and your updates. And uh, I can't wait till you get to be a part of the three timers club. Mm, <laughs> we won't wait do six it. years though. So <laughs> let's not, let's not. I need my velvet jacket and then we have to figure out what we'll get for the three timers. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably velvet shoes. I can help you with that. Yes. All right. <laughs> We're on it. Okay, friend. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I love Bethany so much. What a dear, what a delight she is. I love, she's just, uh, she's the best. I knew you guys would love her. And I would love to know what you loved about this episode. Maybe something you learned. Will you let us know on social media? You can find me at still being Molly or at business with purpose podcast, wherever you get your social medias. And would you go to the podcast app of your choice or wherever you're listening to this, whether that's Apple podcast, Spotify, Google play, wherever, And would you click that subscribe or follow button? And would you take a moment to leave a review? It just really helps us out here at the show. It is totally free for you and just really helps the show to grow and to get more people listening. As always, I want to thank the incredible team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And I want to thank you for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.